Welcome to the October podcast from Stevenson Harwood Pensions Law Team. You can subscribe and listen on iTunes and Stitcher or by visiting our website at www.shlegal.com. I'm Stephen Richards, a partner in the pensions team, and I have with me Julia Cooper, an associate in the team. Today, the topics we're going to look at include guidance from the court on how to rectify a pensions document, steps trustees should consider taking in light of the end of LIBOR, and electronic execution of pension documents. Firstly, however, we will look at the likely changes to RPI as we currently understand it. Thanks, Stephen. Yes, the Chancellor has announced plans to consult on whether to align the Retail Prices Index, known as RPI, with the Consumer Prices Index, including owner-occupiers' housing costs, known as CPIH, between 2025 and 2030. RPI's status as a national statistic was revoked in 2013, but it has remained in widespread use, not least in many private sector-defined benefit pension schemes. A review of price indices published by the Institute for Fiscal Studies in January 2015 recommended that, given the fundamental flaws in the way RPI is calculated, RPI should be maintained as a legacy measure only. The UK Statistics Authority is legally obliged to produce RPI. It cannot, without consulting the Chancellor, change the index until 2030 in a way that would detrimentally affect index-linked guilts. In a letter to the Chancellor earlier this year, the UK Statistics Authority made two recommendations. The first was that publication of RPI should cease. Since this recommendation would require primary legislation and therefore take time, the second recommendation was to take a parallel course of action to align RPI with CPIH. The Chancellor was asked to consent to both recommendations. The Chancellor's response in September this year noted that RPI is widely used across the economy and ceasing to publish RPI would be highly disruptive. The Chancellor would not agree to promote legislation that would remove the requirement for the UK Statistics Authority to publish RPI. The Chancellor recognised the statistical arguments for the second proposal of aligning RPI to CPIH. The Chancellor notes, however, there would be significant effects of these changes on users of RPI and time will be needed for those who use RPI to prepare. As a result, he will not consent to such a change any earlier than February 2025. The government will consult publicly on whether the change should be made earlier than 2030 and if so, when between 2025 and 2030 the change should occur. The consultation will begin in January 2020, subject to Brexit being delivered by this time. Thanks, Julia. For our next topic, we consider the Court of Appeal's recent decision in FSHC Group Holdings Limited, where the Court has given guidance on the rectification of pension scheme documents, so there's some really useful knowledge here for pensions professionals. Parties to a legal document, such as a contract or a pension scheme trustee and rules, can ask the Court for rectification of the document, where it does not reflect the terms which they consider had actually been agreed. So rectification means changing the document to reflect what the parties wanted to say. The purpose of rectification, therefore, is to resolve an accidental inconsistency between the party's intentions and what was recorded in the document. This can be very important for pension schemes because mistakes like this can be expensive if they can't be changed. The court draws a distinction between the test for rectifying contracts and the test for rectifying pension scheme documents. In terms of a contract, there is a two-stage test for rectification. Firstly, the parties must have had a common intention... And secondly, there must be evidence of a mutual agreement between the parties in relation to those intentions. That is, those intentions must have been communicated between the parties. In contrast, a pension scheme document made using an amendment power vested jointly in the employer and the trustees, or in the employer with the consent of the trustees, or vice versa, 
can be rectified if it can be evidenced that the employer and the trustees independently had the same intentions with regard to the document. There's no need for evidence of the parties having communicated this common intention between themselves. The reason for this is that the amending document does not operate by both parties having mutually agreed it. A contract requires agreement. In terms of a trustee, one entity is approving what the other wants to do. In spite of this, it is still vitally important that employers and trustees ensure that their pension scheme documents accurately reflect their intentions and any agreements reached before signing them. They should also keep a detailed record of any negotiations or agreements entered into before the signing of the documents, such as meeting minutes and correspondence, just in case a mistake is made. Pension scheme trustees should be aware of a development that may have an impact on their investments. Scheme investments may have returns that are linked to the London Interbank Offered Rate, known as LIBOR. LIBOR is a key interest rate benchmark and is a measure of interbank lending rates. During the 2007 financial crisis, concerns arose that interbank rates such as LIBOR were being manipulated, leading to greater regulatory scrutiny and wide-ranging reforms to LIBOR. In July 2017, the Financial Conduct Authority announced that after 2021, banks would no longer be required to submit rates needed to calculate LIBOR. It is now therefore widely accepted that it is not possible to rely on LIBOR being available after 2021. The Bank of England and the Financial Conduct Authority have recommended that the Sterling Overnight Index Average, known as SONIA, be adopted as the alternative to Sterling LIBOR across financial products and markets. SONIA is an overnight rate based upon interest paid on certain funds the previous business day. SONIA will usually result in a rate which is lower than the sterling LIBOR rate. Some market participants have already started to prepare for the forthcoming changes. For example, Associated British Ports received consent from note holders in June 2019 to switch the reference rate for its floating rate notes due in 22 from LIBOR to a SONIA-based rate. Trustees should note the likely end of LIBOR in 2021 and the potential impact that this will have on investments, both present and proposed, which use LIBOR as a reference rate. Consideration should be given as to how the investments can be amended to take account of a different rate and the cost implications this may have. For example, fees may be charged for amending the interest rate and altering the benchmark rate may have an impact on returns. In our final topic, we consider the use of electronic signatures for executing pension scheme documents. The Law Commission has now published a report confirming that electronic signatures can lawfully be used to execute documents, including deeds where there is a statutory requirement for a signature. There are concerns about using electronic signatures, though. Could they be more susceptible to fraud than handwritten signatures, for example? There are also practical issues such as reliability and security of technology to take into account. Some uncertainties also remain, in particular with deeds, that must be witnessed. The Law Commission believes the legal position is uncertain as to whether remote or virtual witnessing, where the witness is not physically present, would be valid. The Law Commission recommends that an industry-wide working group should be formed to consider a number of issues, including witnessing electronic signatures on deeds. Given this legal uncertainty, in particular around witnessing of electronic signatures, we would advise against using this method for signing deeds for now, in the absence of further legal clarification. It must be borne in mind that, whilst this report is a useful guide, it does not have the force of law, and the courts may take a different view if asked to decide on any issues raised. That's all for this month's podcast. Further detail on all of the subjects discussed can be found in the October snapshot 
our briefing on the FSHC Group Holdings case and from your usual Stevenson Harwood Pensions Law Team contact. Thanks for listening. We hope you found the podcast informative and don't forget that you can listen again and subscribe to the series on iTunes or Stitcher or on the Stevenson Harwood website. Thank you.